Original content. Content. Compelling discussions. Audio on demand. This is a Podcast 225 production. The issues. What's going on now? What's happening in the state? The people. Carl Dabity. We've got Michael Shingle, Taylor Moore, Jay Darden, Congressman Garrett Gray, Richard Condon. He is Ryan Clark, Sharon Weston Broom. The podcast. And we're going to talk about that. This is the Clay Young Show. Thank you, Neil. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clay Young Show here on podcast 225.com. It's on iTunes through the Apple Podcast app and on the iHeartMedia app, all places to access all 248 episodes of this show. Today, our guest in studio is going to be East Baton Rouge Parish District Attorney Hiller Moore, Hiller Moore III, representing the 19th Judicial District Court, covering East Baton Rouge Parish, it's a post he has had since 2009. Hiller has been on the show before and has talked about his opinions on criminal justice, being involved in the community, his role in trying to impact the lives of people who live in poor communities, and just a great number of things. We've talked about other stories that were relevant to the time, but he's here today and is going to be in studio with me today about something that took place last week as we record this. Now, politics is politics, guys, and I get it. And since the murder of George Floyd, there have been demonstrations across this country, and many people have made their voices heard on what happened to Mr. Floyd. I have been one of them on social media, really going in strong on what I thought was a savage killing of a man In broad daylight in front of a bunch of people. It was cowardly and unnecessary. But if you have seen what I have said or heard what I have said here, you know where I'm at on that. So I don't need to rehash it. Since then, we've had a number of other incidents go on that have also grabbed the attention of the public. But one of the things that has been confusing to me is the duality of what is happening with these protests. You have groups of people who are marching in streets and and marching on city halls across America, protesting and making their voices heard as it relates to what they call racial injustice. We can all agree what happened to George Floyd was a travesty, and many people, me included, believe that there was a racial component to that. You can't. Just my opinion, whether you agree with it or not. That's where I stand. Again, not going to rehash it. But some of these protests, and I mentioned duality, have taken on a two-sided coin because you have people out there who want to scream and make their voices heard about what they see as injustice and their disagreement with the relationship between law enforcement in some areas and inner-city communities, which is a completely important discussion that we at some point have to have. But then you have those in the group who are interested in anarchy. And I will never agree with rioting, burning businesses, beating the hell out of people and all of the other stuff that we have seen go on in some of these riots. But a part of that is also doing things that quite frankly, take attention away from the main message. One of those took place last week. 
when a group of protesters met in a part of South Baton Rouge near LSU's campus. And from where they met, they walked to the district attorney's house and protested in front of his house. So the DA is going to be here with us and he is going to talk about that with you. I believe this might be the first time he's talked about it, but I'm not sure. I have been very, very selective about media nowadays. And so I could have missed if he had done an interview with one of the local radio stations or even local TV stations. But he's going to talk about how he found out about that night and and I'm going to ask him about the emotions he went through and we are going to talk about the narrative about him that is out there. Now, just so you know where I stand on this and, and, and I am not intending to come across as impartial to Hiller Moore as an individual. He's a friend and I like him. I think he's a good guy. I have walked with Hiller in inner city communities all across the parish. I have talked with Hiller about ways to help young black males stay out of jail. I have been in a courtroom filled with young black men along with other business owners and and members of the faith-based community basically pleading with these young men to choose a better direction. It's not something somebody told me. It's I, I was there myself. It wasn't something I was doing for money. Quite frankly, we're out there sometimes walking and meeting people in communities and it's 95 friggin' degrees outside and we're out passing out water and engaging the community trying to actually do work to build the bridge between law enforcement and the communities they serve. Now, if you don't like Hiller's politics, if you don't like Hiller's style of doing things, I can... That's up to you. That's your thing. I think he's a fine DA who cares about the people he serves. However, I push back aggressively if people want to put Hiller Moore in a category of some white guy that doesn't care about black people and is holding down a job and he's got his thumb on the black community to hold them down. That's garbage. But I am going to ask him about that. And I'm going to ask him about the charges that he's too cozy with law enforcement and we'll deal with all of it. But I, and, I, and again, those are legitimate. Those are questions that are legitimate. It depends on the, the perspective, I guess. Those are questions that some would like asked and I'm going to ask them. But I also wanted you to know where I stand so you don't think that I'm impartial as it relates to him. I don't have to be. This is my show, not a news program. But in fairness to people who don't know him, who have not known him for as long as I have, maybe you want to know. You'll have a chance to answer him. But I can tell you this. I have been in the streets and in the community with this man. I have. We have given money to causes to help people in tough situations. That is the truth. 
If anybody tells you he doesn't do that or he doesn't care, I'm sorry. I am an eyewitness to it. The man does care about people. And I've been with him in the hood where people say, hey, it's the DA. And they come over and they talk to him and they want to take a picture with him. Now, we are at this place in society now in politics that it's not just good enough to have differences of opinion about political ideas or ways to go about getting things done. We're all past that now. Now it is pure character assassination and name calling and doing things that do nothing more than incite people. And I think that crap is leading us down a bad rabbit hole. And it happens on both sides. Fact. Now, for those of you listening, you can believe whatever you want if you've encountered Hiller and, and, and y'all didn't mesh. But I'm, I want to tell you, we got to be careful about this thing that we do. Of going there on officials we don't know. Now, again, if you don't have if you don't like his politics or if you don't like his style, that's completely fine. It's like I said last week on the show about Drew Brees. You could you could disagree with Drew. And you can think that Drew was out of line if that's your perspective. But calling him a racist, it's like nobody in Louisiana, specifically anybody around Baton Rouge or anywhere close to New Orleans, who has seen what this man has done for the better part of 15 years, can honestly be believable in thinking he's a racist. So, the DA will be here with us in studio in just a moment, and we'll talk about a great number of things. Listen, if do me a favor. If you listen to the show regularly, share it when you see the post on social media. And if you don't mind, if you got a couple of seconds on iTunes, you can go in and leave a review and a rating. It certainly does help the show when people are prioritizing, and it helps me reach people who may not be here who are searching for Louisiana-based content or South, um, uh, South America, Southern USA region content. I really would appreciate that. All right, let's hear what District Attorney Hiller Moore thinks about the protests outside of his house and the narrative that some are building against him as he moves toward a bid to be re-elected. Podcast225.com Clay Young here with Brian Lowe with Brian Lowe Financial and online at brianlowfinancial.com. Business owners, Brian, they juggle a lot, and I'm talking small business owners. They got to wear a lot of hats, and sometimes things can fall through the cracks. They all want to put money away for the retirement. Yeah. They have three things with business owners going to consider. One is retirement, mm-hmm. two is disability, mm-hmm. and three is an exit strategy. So how do yeah. you get your money out of business? Yeah. So everybody wants to put all their money in the business because they make a good return on it. Yeah. How about let's look for alternatives, the universe of tax deferred options Mm -hmm. we can put a lot of money away uh, have access to it before 59 and a half we can borrow against it get some major tax deductions so if you're looking for major tax deductions give me a call it's actuarially based it's irs protected it's creditor protected get a better return on your money as well Mm -hmm. it could earn as much as five and six percent and you get a tax-free income later in life if you're a business owner give me a call we'll get you through it 
225-292-4225 or brianlowfinancial.com. Executone of Louisiana has been helping businesses in Baton Rouge save money on their telecommunications for over 40 years. Executone will help businesses upgrade their phones and intercom systems, save money, and never have to worry about local customer support. Doctors, offices, hospitals, schools, businesses, it doesn't matter. All kind have depended on the good people at Executone to upgrade technology and save money. I have a question for you. Do you like saving money? Sure, of course you do. Here's another one. Do you want to keep the most up-to-date phone and intercom technology while saving money? That's what it's all about. That's a no-brainer. Don't get sucked in by out-of-town companies who are not here if you need technical support. Executone has been here, and they believe in the value of customer service, baby. Don't take my word for it. Give them a call, 225-295-3500. That's 295-3500. Oh, look them up. ExecutoneLA.com. Executone of Louisiana. They still here, and they're going to continue to give you great service. This is Podcast225.com and The Clay Young Show. Back with East Baton Rouge Parish District Attorney Hiller Moore. He is in the 19th JDC, has been serving since 2009. Hiller is a graduate of LSU and also has a law degree from Southern University where he graduated magna cum laude. He is a smart, smart practitioner of the law, and now he's a prosecutor, the chief one. And Hiller has been on the show before, and you just heard me give you my thoughts on what's going on. How are you, man? What's going on? Doing good. Uh, different different times, but man, really looking forward to a lot of good positive change and a lot of listening. And uh, I think you know, we you always have to look at the best side. Mm-hmm. We have to make the best out of where we are, and otherwise, not don't be in this position or be in any position, really. Let's start with the the subject that started the debate, and that was the incident with George Floyd, where I believe the man was yeah. murdered. And I know that because you are a sitting DA, you got to be careful with what you say, even play in other places. Yeah. However, when when were you made aware that this has happened, that this had happened, and then what were your thoughts? It wasn't long afterwards when I saw the video. Someone sent me the video, and clearly the man was handcuffed Yeah. on face down. Yep. Uh, restrained, had other officers around. Even if he got up to run, I'm not sure where he would have what, gone. Right. Uh, you, if you needed to, I guess you could have tased him, but that probably would even be too far. Right. And then, uh, you know, unfortunately, he, as others have, but particularly this one, he dies in your living room. Mm-hmm. In living room with your children. And it was difficult to watch. And uh, Still painful. is. Still is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there have been a line of others. Yeah. And some that now have followed. So... Uh, it's very difficult uh, situation, and I, I would want to be in that position there in that city. It's a tough position to be in, but uh, it happens, and now action has to be taken, and I trust that the system will handle the matter accordingly. I don't know any of the outside facts. I have no sure. idea about sure. who said what, who did what, right. autopsy result, none of that. So that. That'll be something that has to be decided later. How have incidents like this changed the way you go about your business as a district attorney and i would have to imagine that there's some uniformity of those changes yep. across the country so first let's start with any time an, an officer there's an officer involved shooting particularly or chokehold death mm-hmm. it tears apart the community whether the officer is 100 percent right 90 80 percent does not matter right or whether they can be charged or no charge tears the community apart mm-hmm. 
and uh, it's very difficult to heal from there. So, and we've had our share here, as you know. Yeah. Prior to us uh, having even the Alton Sterling matter, to kind of set things off here, although there have been cases before that, yeah. uh, we have been meeting around the country, and particularly me on behalf of the Louisiana DAs, knowing that this was eventually going to happen in your city and warning all the other DAs around that this will happen in your city. We need to be prepared of how you handle this. And I was fortunate to be on one of the panels of the Association of Prosecuting Attorneys, which came up with guidelines as to how prosecutors should handle these things. Because mm-hmm. in the past, you generally either took no action when the police made no arrest and you found there's no probable cause and you just said there's not enough evidence to go forward even to a grand jury. Okay. Or you went to a grand jury, which is, as you know, sacred, confidential. Mm-hmm. No one knows who's brought, who says what, what reports are presented. And the grand jury generally returns a no true bill. So then we moved as DAs to look, if you're not going to take a charging decision, that is, you don't have sufficient facts to even go to a grand jury, there's no probable cause, there's been no arrest, then try to be extremely transparent and, and give an entire robust report of what happened. And that's the line that we've been following. Now, once we follow that line, now folks would rather say, well, at least ra- rather you present it to a grand jury where you have cross-section of the community, mm-hmm. 12 people take a look at it. Our our rules are we have to have sufficient evidence before we can even go to a grand jury. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd be bringing cases that you know you can't prove if there's not enough facts to go there. So uh, I, I see the concern on both sides. It's so much easier just to go to a grand jury and say, yeah. here, you decide. Right. Here's all the evidence. Right. But it is confidential. It is secret. So these are tough decisions to make, and there's those that you have to make in this position. It's when you hear, you said when something like this happens, it tears the community yes. apart. You see it, feel and, it. And so people retreat to their own silos and you have people who take a, a an aggressively pro-law enforcement po- posture and right. then there are people who take a pro, in, in most cases, inner city community posture and they're both saying justice. Correct. And then you have 80% so in the middle. Yeah. They're not really sure one way or the other. So let's talk about justice when people say let's we we need justice so now you as a prosecutor have to begin that that phase of this and in the in 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 the case of an an officer who's accused now you know they've got a right to a defense but the water is so muddy now so how do you navigate that it's uh it's really a case-by-case basis looking at all of the evidence and that takes time Mm -hmm. as you know you've seen some of the reports you've participated in one Uh, extremely a couple, as a matter of yeah, fact, yeah. A lot of information, a lot of evidence, a lot of witnesses. Yeah. And you have, uh, depending on who investigates the case, you know, mm-hmm. do you want the agency who was involved in the officer-involved shooting investigating their own person, their own officer? Mm-hmm. The general answer is no. You'd rather not, although they're quite capable of doing it. Why not? Why, well, why would you rather Well, you'd rather not? take away any appearance of impropriety. Okay. You know each other because you're in the same department, the same right. force, ideally, you would like to have officers from outside of your city. Right. And we, as you know, entered into MOU after the Sterling matter mm-hmm. uh, with the state police that they would come in and handle the investigations for the city and the sheriff. Right. And that has worked out well. They've done a very thorough investigation. Again, not saying that the city and the sheriff can't investigate mm-hmm. their own, but there is that closeness. Because both state. those agencies have been annoyed, or people within those agencies have been annoyed with you about that, that position. 
Yeah. I mean, maybe not so much people at the top, but no, but it's been sure. out there that and they're not happy with you. No, and I've spoken with them, and yeah. it, it, I understand that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they can't, they're not capable. Right. They, they surely are. Yep. In fact, they probably investigate more homicide deaths than state police sure. do. Sure, sure. Uh, but I, I can tell you that the output of the work from the state police has been incredible. Mm-hmm. It's been very detailed. So I get it from all the sides, but for me to explain it to um, an outsider, particularly one that's more adversely affected than another, Mm -hmm. to say that, yeah, it's okay, they can handle their own investigation well. They they look at me like, wait, I don't think so. I think you ought to have someone else. And if they did, it still has to come to me, Mm -hmm. and then I have to review everything that they've done. Uh, So I think it's better, optimally, if the state police in our circumstance can do it. But, Clay, you have to imagine, you you have one state police uh, agency, and you have all kind of cities around Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And since that started, all the other cities have followed suit saying, state police, can you investigate mine? They just don't have the manpower. They're not set up for that. Mm-hmm. They're not funding for that. So now I think they've retreated to, let's wait and see what kind of how it unfolds before we call the state police in because they are so shorthanded with, with their new norm. You, you mentioned uh, Alton Sterling from july of of 2016 and one of the criticisms that you have gotten from people is that you did not prosecute the officers involved in that incident and it has stayed there and you just kind of talked about why why you decided to do that but that's been a charge people there are people out there who have criticized you and saying you should have charged the officers yes so first of all um we went to that scene we went to the scene with our officer involved shooting uh people that we have met with the chief there at the time, I think it was Carl Dabity. It was. And we had talked prior to this for a year or so, trying to develop an MOU where the state police would come in and not have their own agency investigate their own. And at that point is when the Baton Rouge police agreed to allow state police to come in and investigate. Mm-hmm. And they did. Um, I also that day called the United States Attorney, the FBI, and the, and the Attorney General to let them know what had happened. Right. Particularly when I learned that one of the officer's parents had worked very closely with me and my office on multiple amount of things, mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of programs, a lot of security-related issues. And I thought that at that point, based on closeness that we had and the working relationship we had, that it was better that someone other than me investigate that case or be the prosecutor. And that's when I filed the motion, I think, within three days, maybe that Monday, with the court asking the court to consider allowing someone else to come in to serve as the prosecutor, which the court did. And you say you were having discussions longer, much more advanced than when this thing it's happened. A, with at least a year or two yeah. years, having traveled around the country to meet with prosecutors to say, look, this let's try to develop best practices. Mm-hmm. And actually the best practices were developed in 2017, and uh, which I signed off on a letter yeah. acknowledging historical racial uh, issues that have uh, plagued communities. And uh, that's part of that 27-page guideline so it is just a guideline it's mm-hmm. not a a book of how you must do it because every community is different right um one of the other criticisms is what you know a da works closely with police yeah we see police all the time although there are thousand or fifteen hundred police sheriff you name mm-hmm. it i don't know them all but you do work with them you yeah. see their faces yeah should somebody other than the da be the prosecutor should it be the attorney general who doesn't see these prosecutors in general or in in, specific cases like this in general so any case should it not be the da should be a the attorney general since the attorney general doesn't work with the police 
quite nearly as much as we do on a day-to-day -day -day basis. Should it be a neighboring DA that handles it and not the DA who sits in that parish? There are all kind of different ways that other states look at things. So I think that's that surely is always an option to look at. But here's the, let me give an alternative view okay. on what you just said. Let's say there is, God forbid, some impropriety with an officer and you do know them. That still shouldn't impact your ability to do your job, though. It shouldn't. It wouldn't be any different than any other, let's say, homicides. Let's keep it to that. Sure. It shouldn't be any different than any other homicide case. However, it is involving an officer mm -hmm. that has surely garnered more attention than anything else. But that um, is only if you cannot prove your case where people will say you didn't work really hard true, to try but, to get justice. True. But what if you, for example, what if you indicted someone? Okay. And then you went to trial and they're found not guilty. So then how do you look? Well, did you do enough? Did you not do enough? Did you argue hard enough? It's, there's always going to be Should that. that be a factor, though, no. in your decision-making? No. The factor should be, do you have sufficient evidence to go forward for, first, an indictment? Mm -hmm. and then second, guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a tough burden. Um, so that should be the bottom line. But the process seems to get be thrown out in a lot of yeah. these. It's They want a result, not a process. And unfortunately, with the law, we have to go through processes. So I have said this to a couple of people. I actually said this to Garrett Graves a couple of Fridays ago that, and you probably have thought this longer, long before I have, but I, when the dust settles, Minneapolis may become the precedent by which every other case is judged. Those officers, or at least what that the pub, some in the public expect, those officers were fired within 18 hours of the incident. Three and a half days later, the ringleader is charged. Four or five days after that, the other officers are charged, and the initial charge against the, the primary officer, the one who killed Floyd, those charges were upgraded. Yeah. The, the feds issued a statement on the whole thing. This all happened in under 10 days. That's lightning fast. That's, Would you agree? Absolutely. And I thought it happened in three days and maybe not 10 to uh, make the charging decision. That to me is uh, scary for a lot of reasons to move that quickly. Yeah. It does not happen on any type of murder case uh, that we handle or we've seen particularly in these types of cases. But I guess on the other hand, public safety is, you know, did that factor into the decision to charge so quickly when you probably don't charge any other so quickly under any type of similar circumstance? And rushing to judgments like that, I'm not sure. Again, I don't know what the facts, underlying so, facts are. So that, which is interesting because at the same time, uh, Kentucky and Louisville, the chief was fired the same day an incident happened. And we've seen this happen around the country where these officers or the commanding officers are either being canned or pressured to resign. Right. So I'm just asking, I'm not drawing a conclusion one way right. or another. I'm only making an observation. And I do believe that when, when something happens like this, and God forbid, like right now we're seeing what happened in Atlanta right. uh, based upon this, this shooting only you know, a couple, three days ago as we record this, people want something to happen now. They want a head to roll now. How does that impact what you have to do? I mean, it is, it is concerning that to, to make decisions that quickly. We generally do not make decisions that quickly because we can't. We're not in a proper position to do it. We have to be accurate 
and everything that we do as much as we can, mm -hmm. be as just as we can. To me, rushing uh, things like that can really backfire on Why? you. Why? How? Well, you, you, in three days, you can't have three months of information that you would normally have to read and analyze, uh, look at all the body camera, look at everything, look mm -hmm. at the backgrounds of everyone. So maybe there were underlying things there that led maybe that chief to quit or that. Because, I mean, yeah, like, like I said, decision. in Minnesota, the next morning, they were gone. By yeah. the time you woke up the next morning, it had been announced that all four had been canned. And maybe the chief in that jurisdiction is allowed by their provisions to yeah, do so. That and, there aren't the same civil service protections. Compared to here, which yeah. probably could not. So, yeah, hopefully that's not going to be the new normal. But patience is going to be tough in these kind of situations. And you know, you're going to have to do a lot of explanation as to why it's not three days or ten days. Mm-hmm. Because that's gonna, what people are going to expect. Absolutely, and why is it going to take longer? And I, I just don't think that's the proper procedure to take uh, in these types of cases, or really any case. From a law, from and you're saying that because of how it, the speed can impact the outcome. Absolutely, because you know you, you can't make decisions on these types of cases within a day, <clears throat> a day or three days. It's yeah. just there's no way to comprehend all of the information and take in information from the other side. Yeah. I mean, we, we accept information from whoever's on the other side, defense lawyers, you name it, citizens that call in. And they may not, may not be another side. I have no idea what the right. facts are. Because in this but, case, in this particular case, George Floyd, mm -hmm. I have said, and, and again, I'm not the legal person, that regardless of what happened previous to him kneeling on him for eight minutes, and 46 seconds. Absolutely, yeah. That, that, that is the reality of where we are. And I, I said, you know, and now we've since learned that whatever there may have been in the way of difficulty before, that he was, he was under control enough to get handcuffs on the man. They were. And once, you know, when he puts his hands in his pocket, and my attitude, Hiller, is when an officer does something like that, he or she disgraces Every man and woman who wears a uniform, black, white, Jew, Christian, yeah. straight, gay, whatever, you disgrace all of them because they yeah. all have to wear that stamp. Packed in America. So, yeah, there's no, no need for him to keep his DNA. And, I, and to that point, I can see why a DA or an attorney general would have filed the charges more quicker mm -hmm. than he did because at that point, again, he's down on the ground, handcuffed. Yeah dies from that that's what the autopsy report seems yep. to indicate that he died from that yep. from my recollection mm -hmm. that is surely a lot clearer than where you don't have such video and you really don't know and you really have to piece everything together I mean, maybe in this case there's not not a lot of piecing together because the one in atlanta is going to be different and, that's a little you know, different because you have a little more <laughs> angles than that yeah so and i know the da in atlanta and i know the da in minneapolis and mm -hmm. both of them and so uh i uh, I think uh, Mr. Brown, Paul Brown in Atlanta indicated he would make some type of decision mm -hmm. this week. And again, I think that's quick, yeah. but I, I don't know what he knows or sees. Right. But I think that looks like that's becoming a new normal. I think we have to be aware of potential problems of maybe rushing to a judgment and then later on have to retract on that judgment. And I'm not saying that's the case right. in either one of these, but... Man, that would be disastrous with the climate we're in right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. So... We talked about why the recusal, and many people have known that, and for a lot of people, they're hearing it for the first time because of, of what's going yeah. on, and that was four years ago. 
I said in the open that one of the things about you is there is a racial undertone to some of the criticisms that you have gotten. And then there are people who are flat out saying you don't care about black people. Right. And I said in the open that I agree with that a million percent because we've walked together in the communities, not to mention without divulging, we've had personal conversations about ways to help and do things. Yeah. Now, for people who don't know you, you you really do let stuff like that roll off your back, you like to. water off, a, off of a duck. Absolutely. And I get it because of the job you have. But there's got to be a part of you that is annoyed with that because of all that I know and so many people who know you see you do all the time. Sure, but you have to move forward because there's another day and there are so many good people out here that you have to take care of that are struggling. Uh, my only concern is for those employees of mine who are, uh, have a different skin color than me. Mm -hmm. Also for my family, my kids and my friends, when that's said, it does kind of hurt them. And I can see it hurting them and they mm -hmm. tell me. But look, I understand, Clay. I have ne you and I have had discussed a, a, this a whole a yeah, lot of times. Yeah. I've never been in your skin, never been in your shoes. Right. And I think right now, based on everything that's going on, somebody like me needs to really shut up and listen more and understand. Um, and I spoke with one young lady not long ago, and we talked about how our grandparents and forefathers came here. Mm -hmm. Mine came in a coat and tie with a very poor, uneducated with a suitcase in her hand, looking for a job for a better way in America. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that yours did not. Right. I'm assuming yours came right. over in a boat and yep. were probably shackled. Yep. And then starting from there, that's how we both started mm -hmm. our lives, although I'm a little bit older than you. <laughs> and so you have to start with how did people like you get here yeah. and how did that start and then compare from there as to maybe why we're seeing the problems that we see nowadays. Uh, and so we have a lot of work to do. I think you know? I think systemically there are issues that have to be addressed and fixed. Yes. However, there have also been progresses made that we cannot ignore. Yes. The one of the reasons why there is still work to do is because someone like a Derek Chauvin can wear a badge and carry a gun and he should not be able to do that because in my opinion he's a criminal he doesn't represent all of the men and women in law enforcement that i know many i care about right. he doesn't represent them any officer who does like does that you are just a clown wearing a uniform you're not an officer of the peace this is me talking not sure. her but i do believe what you said is important and and to go back to it is we really are in a place in this country where we don't talk to each other as much. We scream at each other. And you said being able to listen. And I do think people ought to listen. And I want to go, because I know people want me to ask about this, and I wanted to take my time as, as we record this a week ago, or a little less than a week ago, some protesters came to your house. Yeah, I thought that was over the line. And I would say that even if it wasn't you, I think that was over the line. But Let's talk through that evening. How'd you find out about it and tell us the story? Uh, I mean, I understood that there was going to be a protest at the Canes, not mm -hmm. too far from us, maybe six blocks or so. Yep. And had no idea that it would eventually come to my house mm -hmm. after some time. I had planned not to be there because we were going to go out to eat to celebrate the two children's birthdays. Mm -hmm. And, you know, found out about it, but it was 15 minutes really before I was supposed to leave. So we just left and went to eat. Um, I respect everyone's right to protest. 
uh, and do it in a peaceful fashion, which they did. Very respectful. Came through the neighborhood, uh, no issues, no problems, no damage, no trash, no trash talk, mm-hmm. uh, both from them and from neighborhood. And so I respect that. I think. How did your neighbors feel about that? My neighbors were fine. I mean, they they were. It was they, someone wanted. Why didn't you let me know? Well, I didn't know, uh, so it was hard to say. Uh, but everyone's been fine. They they understood. I think they asked the question like most people had asked me. Man, why did they come to your house? It's the, mm. that's off limits, black and white. Whoever I've spoken oh, to, yeah. it's been the same thing. But I, look, I um, I understand. I accept it, and hope to learn from it. And um, so, um, it's, look, it's, I think. City Hall is City Hall belongs to the people where yep. your office is. The police department belongs to the people. All these public buildings, they belong to the people. I think someone's house should be someone's house should be off limits. And again, I went out there, Hiller, a couple of Mondays ago when they were in they were on Segan Lane here in Baton Rouge. And I went I, I was in the crowd and went to hear the young people and just kind of watched them. And I can tell you from being out there that they weren't interested in any violence or any rioting or anything. I mean, I saw them out there. Sure. And they have their opinions about things. When they got, they were by the jack-in-the-box near Airline Highway, if you're familiar with Baton Rouge. And when they were done, they were picking up their water bottles. and everything. They didn't leave trash out there. They didn't, they didn't block the street. This, to me, was a political display. Sure. In my opinion. This was a political display. This wasn't about what these kids have done before. And, and... That's the part that's bothersome. And it, it's a cycle that repeats. Something happens, and then we end up in some crap that has nothing to do with resolution, and then people lose interest, and nothing changes. And I think that's kind of where we are. I can get even more frustrated about <laughs> it, but I, I don't want to do that. So where do you see yourself in what is happening now with this dialogue about law enforcement and law and the process? Because you are the district attorney. So I think DAs do play a role in uh, police reform, and I think that's part of uh, discussions that we would have with the chief, the mayor, the sheriff. Also with, uh, see, Senator Cleo Fields filed mm-hmm. a bill. Yep. I reached out to him again last night to say if you need uh, DAs. He's been on, on fire. Yeah, <laughs> if you need DAs on a panel, we have DAs that yeah. are willing to do it. Again, serving on nationwide panels with yeah. the Innovations for Innovations and Prosecution, mm-hmm. Associated Prosecuting Attorneys on things to to look forward to this racial inequality that we have in, in the system, criminal justice system, fixing those. Now, when people hear you say that, okay, and you know, you and I have been friends a long time and we've had these conversations, but when people hear you say that, racial inequality in the system, mm-hmm. right? Some are gonna ask what you mean and others are gonna say you're pandering. Yeah, so it's hard to explain, but you know, the. And I go back and forth. So the vast majority of the police presence, they are heavily concentrated in black uh, neighborhoods, okay? That's and where the crime tra- is. And we traditionally say 70805 and 702. Mm-hmm. And as you know now from being on the board at Truce, mm-hmm. that's kind of somewhat wrong because it's only a very small segment of people in 05 and 02, right? Yeah. And that's what you really want to focus on. So. The question Specifically is, meaning the majority of the people who live there are not causing any absolutely. problems. Absolutely. I mean, we've been in the communities. And when you walk there, they flock out the house. That's so right. When you coming that's back? right. That's, that's exactly. We get it every time. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, the argument is that even we uh, over-police certain segments. Mm-hmm. And when you do, looking for that small segment, you also pick up 
all of these other people that maybe you should not have. Right. So they're over-policed. But then on the other hand, they're also saying some segments were under-policed mm -hmm. and in segments of the same type of community. So, you know, look, we for sure, there are much more African-Americans that are arrested than whites. Yeah. Surely much more for drugs versus uh, in that than. Yep. So, or, you know, or whites using drugs less than blacks. Probably not. No, Probably not. No. And then now on violence and guns, we generally see more young black kids being pulled over for guns mm -hmm. and guns and drugs. Illegal guns. Illegal guns yeah. and drugs. Is that the same in uh, a white neighborhood? I don't know that mm. answer compared to the drugs, but obviously police are not being called to shots fired in other neighborhoods. Right. And, but maybe we don't have shots fired coverage there that they would know. So I think it's worth kind of looking at everything and what are the outcomes of sentencing white versus black. We also have to look at the victims. Yeah. Overwhelmingly, yep. our victims are black. Yep. Defendants are black on black. Yep. And every now and then we have a different color. Mm -hmm. And oh, besides no black, the color, the victims and the defendants generally know each other. Right. And I don't care what's a murder. And don't even travel out of their area, their correct. general area. And not correct. Uh, so we have to look at those mm -hmm. things. And also, Clay, our victims also become our defendants. Yeah. So I think that if we were able to slow down and take more time. And I know they want to defund things, but I'm not oh, sure that, how that's going to work. That, that, when that, you have 60 that, officers yeah. short, 13 DAs Again, short. that goes to what I just said a second ago about how a, a distracting aspect of a discussion becomes the center of the discussion. Yeah. This distracts from real change and real progress because it does, in my opinion, speaking for me, it doesn't help anything to say defund right. a police agency. So when we talked about people and so in our business we flip hamburgers mm -hmm. because we move on to the next case yeah. you have to get it moving because your docket's so big right if we're able to really slow down and take care of the underlying problem of these people they would not come back how do you we, do that you have to slow down you have more people more counselors going to the defunding part of it mm -hmm. what what i think most people that are asking about defunding they're talking about all right should policemen be writing tickets should policemen be picking up mental health patients? Should they be involved with drugs or not? Mm -hmm. The answer is yes or no. So when you write a ticket and the person's a DWI, do you need a policeman or a social worker? Uh, or when they I have, had that conversation with the sheriff just yesterday. Or when the person's mental health and they have a weapon, who yeah. do you want a social worker? Yeah. It's, it gets a little more murky. Right. I understand the big part. And yes, uh, look what we've done in Baton Rouge to move away from not defunding, but the Bridge Center. Mm -hmm. The idea was to take the police out of that. Look, the legislature historically, is we, they make the laws and they sure. put police, judges, DAs yeah. in the middle, although we're all part of this solution and the problem. Mm -hmm. So let's look at what we make our policemen do. Should we make them do less things? Social work. And should work, we yeah. have more yeah. social workers yeah. and help? Yeah. But also you're going to put a social worker at risk. Well, maybe not going out to a violent crime incident, but I think you are right about the socioeconomic aspect to why certain crimes happen in certain areas. I mean, that is a real thing. It, has, it isn't just Baton Rouge. It's any Correct. city in America. Find a similarly poor 
minority neighborhood and the crime is almost always the same. The percentages and numbers can be different, but it's the same systemic thing that we don't often address because again, we start chasing another rabbit about something that has nothing to do with solving the problem. So I really think we have to redo our communities, particularly those that have been disinvested Mm -hmm. and that we need to find more ways to help their entire community. And again, you know, the neighborhoods that we're talking about that we walk through that others listening will never see. Yep. If they walk through that neighborhood, they would be more interested in reinvesting in those neighborhoods, making shops there, looking at the housing, looking mm-hmm. at the abandoned homes. Um, we have to change the physical nature of those uh, neighborhoods. We have to help those people right. who are law-abiding citizens, who are struggling, need help on all kind of levels. Yeah. We have to find a way to help those people to do a better job. For- I have Hiller and I've had these conversations before and you know the things that he's saying for some of you who've never heard it this it's it I know it drives what you believe and he's being authentic but it goes back to again not to beat a dead horse it's the nature of the dialogue we it's hard for us to get to a place where we can be conversant on solutions when it's an argument about things that don't really matter and that's why, you know, people have asked me, Hiller, over the years about running, you know, because I'm, I'm so around politics. My company's done work helping people get elected and all of that. And one of the reasons that I always say I'm not going to do it is because on the inside, it's so much more difficult to get to the solution stage because of yeah. the posturing and the BS and everything. And where in my world, I can get to black or white, and I'm talking solution yes. or problem faster than in politics. Sure. So, Does it uh, ever frustrate you? There's no doubt. So like you see a big ship, trying to move a big ship with just a rudder. Yeah. You need all of those towboats yep. all around on the side, all kind of pushing that ship in the same direction. Yeah. And when you talk about an institution like criminal justice, yeah. trying to push how many, how many boats do you need, right. tugboats do you need to push that thing? Yeah. And given all the history that we have, good and bad, uh, we need a lot of tugboats to push this institution into different directions. And, you know, it's going to take a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And I thought that we were going to be right at that position where criminal justice would have taken a bulk of the money. Not, I'm not just talking about police. I'm talking mm-hmm. about social services and yeah. work yeah. that we were talking on a national level about getting this done. And then the corona crisis hit and all of our monies that we may have had is now going to the healthcare, mm-hmm. which obviously it needs to. But we were really ready on a national level with the National Network for Safe Communities, yeah. Dr. David Kennedy and John Jay, to really put this out on a national level. Let's go rebuild our communities. And race has a big part mm-hmm. of rebuilding our communities mm-hmm. and injustice and qualities and making it equal for everyone, making it safe for uh, people and the citizens and the police because we need each other. Who are you going to call? Are you going to call the police? And we need them. We have, we have great police law enforcement officers. Yes, we have bad yep. ones, just like yep. you have bad DAs. Mm-hmm. You name it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I think uh, that money obviously is now gone, but we have to find a way to rebuild our communities and come together as a nation to be better. And hopefully this will be the catalyst that leads us down that road. Well, you know, this we've been talking about 34 minutes, and this is the, the longest you and I go without giving each other a hard time because <laughs> we do it all the time. But I'm going to extend it another few seconds by saying, I think that you are you are a tremendous district attorney and the region is lucky to have you. And I think people, if they really if they really knew, they would know how much effort you put into trying to save some of these young men before they become 
incarcerated and I've seen it and, yeah. and, and we've done some of this together. And I, I do think we need more dialogues and fewer monologues. We need more exchange of ideas. And when we do, maybe not all of my ideas or all of your ideas make it onto the onto the wall. But we can do more together than this villain, the, you know, just vilifying people. And and you, you I've, and the, the truth is, I've never known you to do it. And there is a lot that you have had to deal with since you've been the D.A. here that we won't go into and that most people would go, man, I don't even know why you still live in Louisiana. Yeah, well, I appreciate the compliment. Uh, That's the last one you'll get this year. So just uh, uh, but, you know, I really love the job I have, and I want to keep doing it for another six years, and I hope I'm able to. Yeah. I have some of the best people in the world working at my office, and I'm not sure if the people listening to your uh, podcast know, but my office is very diverse. Mm-hmm. Half of my office staff that are in leadership positions are African-American. In fact, Correct. probably more. Mm-hmm. And that really gives us a different office than any other DA's office in the nation. Right. I think we're most diverse around because we get to bounce ideas around and get to listen and when I say things that are ideas, they send back to me saying, listen to what you are thinking and just mm-hmm. said this, how this would impact. And it makes you rethink where you are. And so I think our office is stronger because of the leadership that we have in, in that community and right. serves our office. And, uh, you know, we're not perfect. We strive to be. We think we're the best office in the state of Louisiana. We want to be. We want to serve. We want to listen. And uh, I'm always willing to listen and change when that's appropriate and as long as public safety is not negatively impacted, that's our bottom line for everyone, just to be in safe and live safe in Baton Rouge and be peaceful. If people want to find you on social media, where are you? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I mean, you have no idea. Uh, you tweet from t- time to time. Well, uh, I have some younger folks in my staff that were able, I read the articles and I give it to them, and they're <laughs> able to tweet it out. Uh, so that's, a, that's about All as right, much we'll, as I know we'll, to tell we'll, you. We will link to it in the social media. Please, that will help me out a lot. That will help him out a whole lot. You know, I didn't bring you in here to help you. I wanted to get, <laughs> Hiller, I appreciate it, brother. Thank oh, you so thanks, much. Thanks, man. It's great. The only interactive podcast in the capital city that lets you help solve a crime. There was a shooting. Okay, is someone shot? Yes, someone is shot. The Crime Stoppers podcast with Clay Young. Just some suspicious people running through the parking lot before. Real stories. It was my first love. Real crimes. Real people. Real justice. The Crime Stoppers podcast with Clay Young. Exclusively at podcast225.com. And now today's Manners Minute. What does it mean to be a strong heart dad? To discipline, encourage, comfort, and instruct your children from a heart of love is your first priority. Discipline to change inappropriate behavior, not to belittle, but to bring about positive change. Encouragement that builds perseverance to see commitments through to completion. You'll be equipping them for the tough moments in life. Comfort to instill security in your relationship so your children know that no matter what mistakes are made, you will be there for them and with them. Instruction in how to live lives of integrity. Instruction through what you say and what you do. Instruction in how to find answers through faith. If you'll choose to discipline, encourage, comfort, and instruct your children, you will help them grow up to become all they are meant to be. Happy, happy Father's Day, dads. The issues, the policies, the people. This is The Clay Young Show. So there you go. You heard it yourself. Hiller Moore live in studio with us. 
moment ago talking about all of the things going on right now. It's just, it's so crazy. I'll say something again that I said in the interview and in that we need a few more dialogues and a few less monologues, you know. So there it is. And he does always take the high road and it's just who he is as a person. And it's who I've always known him to be. But the narrative out there about him, again, if you disagree with him, that's cool. I mean, everybody's got a right to their own opinions. But I think at some point we have to say, if you're going to call somebody a racist or if you're going to call somebody biased against one type of people or another, there should be some fact-based aspect to that. And I don't, I don't, think it exists with Hill or Moore, in my opinion. The other side of this is, you know, I know the many of the people who disagree with Hiller and the positions they take against him, and I am taking the position that I am not going to be using my platform to bash people individually. It would kind of make me a hypocrite, wouldn't it? Based on what you've heard me say. I will just say I, I disagree with those statements about him, I know the man to be someone who, who does care about all people. And there is a list of, of things you could look at. Him talking about 2016 and where it came from, agree with it or disagree with it. But I know that to be the case. And what he said about people going to his house, even in us chatting between the segments, I mean, it's... I just don't think the guy has a mean bone in his body. And I know a lot of you out there, even those who, who agree with what, what the protesters are saying, have to draw the line at people going to someone's house. Come on. And this, this isn't like the White House. Donald Trump doesn't own the White House. He doesn't play, pay mortgage on the White House. He's the current occupant because he occupies the job of president of the United States. The governor's mansion does not belong to John Bell Edwards here in Louisiana. He's the current occupant because he's the current governor of Louisiana. That was Hiller's house. Not cool. And more people have spent time talking about that than any message these young people have tried to get across. So... There you go. But thanks again to District Attorney Hiller Moore for being on with us and sharing. All right. You guys have a great rest of the week or weekend, depending on when you're listening to this episode of the show. I think it's about time for us to have another update on some of these corona numbers, and we'll work on getting that for you. I'm hearing that some of the numbers are going up or numbers are ticking back up. So that should make for a very interesting fall. Ugh. I'm on Twitter at ClayYoungBR, on uh, Instagram, Clay underscore YoungBR, and on Facebook, just ClayYoung. My email address is Clay at podcast225.com. Thanks for dropping by. We appreciate you. See you next time here on The Clay Young Show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.